Hello and welcome to another episode of Downtime with Cranston Public Library. This is a podcast for cool people who love libraries, where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. Taylor is away this week. I'm your guest host, Elena Rios, youth librarian here at Cranston Public Libraries, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, my name is Cassidy Mills. I'm a reference librarian at Cranston Public Library, and my pronouns are also she, her. And hi, I am Briss M. Nielsen, and I am the author of novel Deep in Providence, and my pronouns are also she, her. A little bit later in the show, we'll talk to Riss about her new book, Deep in Providence. But before we get to that, let's start out, as we always do, with what have you been reading? Lately, I've been reading The Many Daughters of a Fong Moy by Jamie Ford. I'm about like 80% done with the book, and it's really good. It's about a... Um, Chinese family of matriarchs and how both their trauma and kind of like their empathy and love and kind of better characteristics are passed down through generations. I believe there's like eight um, main characters and it goes through all of the women in this family and it's very, very interesting. Oh, I love generational novels. Um, And eight characters, that is a lot to juggle. It sounds like it, um, and usually I would have a problem with it, but I feel like every character is so different, and they're all in different time periods, so I think that makes it a little bit more easy to distinguish them as well. What are you reading? I'm reading Babel by R.F. Quang. Mm, So good. I'm only of the quarter of the way through. It takes place in 1800s England, in this world very similar to ours, basically, where Silver inherently has the power of manifestation, basically. So Babel, which is the School of Translation at Oxford, has accepted its first class of BIPOC people. And they learn in this really like dark academia setting how to engrave these bars of silver metal. uh, And it basically gets into like colonization. They give this really good example in the book where you can add these bars with Latin translations on like, not enhancement, but like adding an addition of. And if you attach that to a boat, it'll make it easier for you to catch fish, but it won't actually create more fish. So that's sort of the best way to put how the quote unquote like magic system is. It is incredible. It's such a big brain book. It's not at all like dark academia other than its setting it's not fantastical other than like the power of manifestation it's really just like a conversation on the power of language and how impressive translators actually are so good everyone should read it i i actually i have to read it i have to read it because um i was supposed to read it already rebecca's probably like she's so lovely too just to just to let you know she's so lovely she's like an amazing human I hope you get to meet her because she's she's incredible. She has like three more books coming. She's like she just has such a big brain. So I can imagine um, one of my friends just recently read it and said it's incredible. And just like every page is like supposed to be there because, you know, it's a really big book. Mm -hmm. I write big books, so I know. But it's like it's a really big book. And she's like, it's just incredible. And I'm like, "Ah, I'm behind. I have to read it. That's okay. It's evident to me that Arf Quang is brilliant. Like, there's a difference between really beautiful writing and being like, wow, this author can really do something with their words. But it is just evident 
on every single page. I don't know how it's possible. It's just, oh my gosh. I have so many tabs in it. It's like I'm a bookstagrammer at this point. Like I literally have tabs on every page. There are so many stunning quotes. Big brain. Love her. The cover art is beautiful too. It is. And I got the fairy loot edition and it has like sprayed edges and it came with a sleeve. I lost my mind. I was done for. And I've never read the Poppy War, which is really upsetting because I knew that this was going to come out. And I, I know the Poppy War really like destroys some people. And I want to be destroyed too, but I just, I didn't prep in time. Yeah. That's okay. It's okay. You'll get to it. It's a brilliant book, but it's very, it, it can destroy you. So yeah. Nice. Um, currently I'm reading one of my friend's books. Um, so I am keeping, um, I'm keeping a door shut because I tend to like read like five things at once. So I'm trying to just get my friend's book done um, for books coming out next year. So I'm trying to read that for her. So can't really talk about that, but it's amazing. It's by Lyndall Clipstone, author of Lake's Edge. And um, it's going to be incredible. Um, Lake's Edge was one of my favorite books uh, probably in the last decade. Like it's just so magical. Um, her writing, her prose is just gorgeous and lush. The world building the the tension between the characters is perfect. I love it. And Forest Ball, book two, it's amazing. It's amazing. And when you get to read it, you're gonna be like, it's, it's incredible. And also it's dual POV. So like we get um we get his point of view too. And it's just yeah, so good. My coworker Elise, who's also a youth services librarian here, she absolutely loves Lake's Edge. Yeah, I haven't read it yet. I desperately want to. It sort of like falls in that like little folder of sort of tropes that I like in books where you bring like fairy tales and magic uh, into real life. Books like House of Hollow and The Hazelwood. I love stuff like that. When fairy tales step into our world. Oof. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I love both of the books you just mentioned. House of Hollow and Hazelwood are like two of my favorite books, too. And and this is up there, you know? And um, yeah, just read it. Like, move it up on the TBR because I'm telling you, like, once you get to the first, um, like, few pages, you're just sucked in by her prose. The romance is just so good. I can't even explain it. But it does. It has all the tropes. And it's, like, the monster book boyfriend of your dreams. Yeah. Um, but I just finished um, Margie Houston's um, Vampire Hearts and Other Dead Things. And, um, yeah. It was so good. It destroyed me. It's like, it's, it's kind of similar. It's, um, so supposedly there's vampires in the world. They came on live TV like 10 years ago or something. No one has heard from them since. So it's kind of like, are they really vampires? Are they not? But this, this girl, she believes in vampires and so does her dad. And then she finds out her dad is dying of cancer. So, um, while her, his, her dad is on his deathbed, she, she goes, um, to Louisiana to try to hunt down a vampire so that she can like become a vampire herself and save her dad. And um, I can't, I mean, I'm not going to say spoilers, but wow. Like it's, it's really good. It's, I don't know. It's really good. And, you know, obviously like it's dealing with heavy topics like grief and stuff, but it's just really good. It's an adventure. And um, I love books like that mystery adventure. So, but um, I have to give one more. I just have to, excuse me while I ugly cry by um, Joya Jaffney. And um, it's so, so good, um, so wholesome. And it's about this girl that makes lists for what she wants to do with her life, including like romantically. And then her diary 
full of lists is stolen and someone like blackmails her to doing the things on her list. And if not, they like send out pieces of her embarrassing like personal list to like the whole school. So so she's like on a journey to do these things and she does it with this guy. Um, so it's kind of like an enemies to lovers thing. And it's so it's one of the best books I've read recently. It's really, really good and wholesome and also just like fun. And for a YA, like the romance is like nice. It's like it's pretty perfect. And I don't know, the writing is so good, too. Um, yeah, so. I had to I had to just wreck that book real quick because it's really good. And then obviously, um, it's just nice. It's just nice to read a book, you know, like with um, characters of color in it and just, yeah. Work. Simple as that. Work, <laughs> you know. And I love that you're reading books with vampires in them because vampires are inherently fall and it's fall. Uh, Simple yeah. as that. It's fall. I've bought my candles for October. I'm wearing corduroy overalls and a black shirt I'm wearing thick socks like I'm not playing it's autumn so thank you for doing that yes autumn I I can't I I'm loving it I just ordered a bunch of like slip dresses to wear underneath cardigans and like wear with my um my Doc Martens and I'm just I'm just ready I mean the rain the rain can go you know for now but like you know the fall oh yeah now I know you watch anime. Can you tell us if you're watching a new anime? If so, what are you watching? I am finishing up finally Demon Slayer um, season two. It took me so long because I've just been really busy, um, so I haven't got to it. And I just want to like dedicate when I'm on it. I just want to like dedicate because I like cry like every episode. It's horrible. So, um, but I just started Bleach and then. I went to see, last week I went to go see um, Dragon Ball Superhero in the movie theater. It was really good. Amazing. Um, it was, um, if anyone's interested in anime and is thinking about going to see it, I feel like it's more, um, I don't know, it's more like, how can I explain this? It's uh, it's just more playful and um, less serious than than a couple of the last Dragon Ball movies we've, we've gotten. Um, my kids enjoyed it a little bit more than me, to be honest, if I'm going to be really honest. Um, just because I just want to see them just fighting more and just more action, but it was really good. It was really good. And, um, yeah, so I'm waiting for Jujutsu Kaisen season two, which we're getting our announcement the 18th and I'm just like ready. And I'm, I'm like, are they playing with us? Are we really getting the announcement? Cause they've been saying it for, for a long time now. So I just am like, when the 18th comes, I'm expecting to get a date. Like, we need, like, a, a solid date because I just need to, like, count down for it. Um, you watched Jujutsu Kaisen? Yeah. I read do the you, manga. Cassidy, do you watch any um, anime? I haven't gotten into any anime, though. No? No. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you don't have to be sorry. I don't. Do you read manga, Cassidy? I feel like you and I have never talked about manga either. I'm slowly getting into it. So I've been reading mostly uh, horror manga. So like Junji Ito. Junji Ito. Yeah, I've been reading some of him. Um, that's basically it. But I, I guess I should get into it more. You should read um, Orochi. They're very similar to Ito, but Ito is just like really disturbing. Whereas Orochi sort of start off not wholesome, but like, okay, something's going to happen eventually. You get this like random plot. And then it just like... Like, it's just like a 180 turn and 
it gets really grim. And then Orochi also has like this one character in every story who has the best intentions, but everything results in like bloodshed, like pure bloodshed. (laughs) It's good. If you like Ido, definitely read Orochi. It's different pacing, but it works well. Okay. I'm, trust me, I I already have like four uh, recommendations from you guys. So you're giving me so much (laughs) so much to do i'm I'm gonna give you one more just one more thing to do just because if you like that i feel like uh one that's like kind of light and really easy to get into especially if you want to start with an anime uh what's really dark is promise of neverland the manga is like really dark but like just watching it on tv is just really it destroyed me but it's like so good too like you love the kids it's so good but it's yeah there's some like cannibalism but you know what i mean like going on and just yeah you're so chill about it (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it happens, I guess. Yeah, I don't really watch a lot of anime, but I do read a lot of manga. I've been reading Death Note for like a year now. It's so slow. I cannot believe the world's famous manga series ever is so incredibly slow. Death Note is like slow in general, like even the, the anime. But it's worth it in the end. If you're getting sick of it, I'm telling, I'm just, I'm just saying, just switch over to TV because you could just pick up like a little bit where you left off and it um because i couldn't finish the the death note manga like it's just way too much but the show is incredible it's like really good i feel like you guys are gonna make fun of me i haven't read the manga or seen the anime but i happened to watch like the live action movie that they made a few years ago from netflix (laughs) right um so it wasn't bad i actually liked it and i think it was before i figured out that it was you know an anime and a manga so that probably threw off my experience of it and i know so many people make fun of me they're like you actually like that movie i thought it was okay probably as its own entity it's probably a good time but compared to the manga, which is like super slow, so much detail, so much conversation, very analytical, so many layers, like a movie just feels like it could never do justice. There's too much. Personally, I always take everything for what it is and I never really compare them. You know what I'm saying? It's always like saying they're two separate entities and I like enjoy them that way. So I think like the movie, what I'm basically trying to say is Cassie, the movie was probably good. I think us original fans sometimes get in our heads where we're like, heck, it has to be extremely perfect. It has to, but we don't enjoy it for what it is, right? Like, it's so different being on TV. And maybe I'm just saying that because, like, I've written a screenplay and stuff, so I just know how different it is to, like, try to write for TV. But it was probably good. I'm just just trying to back you up a little bit, Kat. Thank you. (laughs) But there's, there's also some adaptations that are, like, equally as good or even better which is so funny because the first time I was on this podcast the Shadow and Bone uh Netflix adaptation had just been released and when we talked about what we have we're reading and what we're watching I talked about it (laughs) I think I was like on my third rewatch within that week of it because I loved it so much and like so for anyone who doesn't know the Shadow and Bone show on Netflix acts as the first season as the first book for the Shadow and Bone trilogy, but it also acts as a prequel to the Six of Crow duology, which is all part of this massive universe that Lee Bardugo has been curating for over a decade at this point. And it was, I mean, I think most, if not all people agreed that that show was actually better than the first book in the whole series. It was so, so good. That was up there with like Hunger Games. You know, Suzanne Collins just like killed it, like with the Hunger Games, like incredible. And I think a lot of like, you know, 
if I am putting the two together, we like there's no comparison. But the Shadow and Bone and like um and the Hunger Games, like both to me, just they just did it justice. They just did the book justice. Yeah, absolutely. I think of like the Fountain of Stars, Lord of the Rings. Like there's so many good yeah. adaptations, and like as their own things, they're absolutely phenomenal. And together, also phenomenal. Good stuff. And we'll return to the show after a quick break. Enjoy the latest movies, music, ebooks, and audiobooks instantly with Hoopla. Cranston Public Library cardholders can borrow up to five instant titles each month with no wait times or holds. You can download the free Hoopla digital mobile app on your Android or iOS device or visit www.hoopladigital.com to begin enjoying thousands of titles from major Hollywood studios, record companies, and publishers available to borrow for instant streaming or temporary downloading to your smartphone, tablet, and computer. Cranston Public Library is pleased to bring poetry to our patrons all without leaving the comfort of home. No internet, computer, or smartphone required. A recorded poem read by a CPL staff member will be available every Tuesday afternoon. To listen, call 401-900-1090 and be sure to check back weekly to hear what's new. For more information about this service, please visit cranstonlibrary.org slash on the line. But we should turn around. We should get into the book. Can you tell us, Riss, a little bit about Deep in Providence? What inspired it? Can you tell us about the writing process? Just, we'll let you go free. So Deep in Providence, it's about um, three teen girls who are trying to bring their friend back from the dead, essentially. It was actually inspired by some of my high school experience. So in high school, um, I had a friend pass away. um, And at that time, me and my friends, we were doing our own witchcraft. We were trying to do witchcraft at least. So we would just um, go to botanicas like after school and we would get um, like oils and herbs and candles. And then we would go in my aunt's living room and we would try to do spells and we would try to call to ghosts. And we really believe like this, this worked and it happened and lights used to flicker or, or, you know, that's how I remember it, you know? So, so we always used to do this. And I think one of the things that I thought of was when we used to do it with her, my friend that passed away, she was really terrified. I mean, like she hated it so much. One time we did a seance and she actually like ran out of the room screaming, you know, I'll never forget it. Like I think about her all the time because of this, because she was just, you know, so animated and fun and, and everything, but she was terrified. She was terrified of this thing we did, which, I don't know. It's just funny. I Then I went and I wrote a book about this, but like, it just, it just came out naturally. Cause I'm just like, she would probably like laugh at this. Like really? Like after I was terrified of the things we used to do. Um, so it was kind of, it was inspired by that. It was also inspired by um, my Filipino culture. So I grew up like in um, a Filipino family and my grandfather used to teach us uh, like tell us ghost stories and tell us like Filipino myths. Um, at night, I would like always ask for them. We would sit under the moon and he would smoke his like tobacco and I would ask him for like these ghost stories. And he always had um he always had like the best stories to tell me, like so scary. And then after that, I would like cry to my mom 
and be like, can I sleep with you? And she'd be like, that's it. Like, you need to stop listening to your grandfather's ghost stories and like asking for them. And then the next day I would go do the same thing and like ask him for ghost stories. And he used to call me like his little full moon. And he used to say, you know, like full moon to sit next to me so I can scare you tonight. And I, it was terrifying, but I loved it so much. And it just always felt like magic being around him. He would teach us um, about like the earth and how magical the earth was and use words like that. Like we can pull from the earth to live and for knowledge. We would like fish and we would garden. We would just do all this stuff, uh, essentially trying to live off of the earth. And he would just talk about magic while we were doing it. And I associated it with um, with each other. So all of this stuff, I feel like um, came from growing up with him. But then what happened was my aunt, my younger aunt, her name is Mindy, actually. She's going to laugh because I have an aunt in the book called Lindy. <laughs> and um, she knows and she's like, I can't believe you did me like this. But um, yeah, she used to um, and she still does. Uh, she She believes in spirits and she practices and she calls to them. And when I was young, we used to use like the OEG board. We used to use like candles. We, we tried a whole bunch of different things with her um, to call to spirits. And every time we did it with her, it seemed so real. And I still don't know if it's not real. You know what I mean? Like she's just, she really believes in it. And then, so everything I did with her and then with my grandfather, I took with me and I basically um, brought it to my friends. And I was like, are you interested in doing this? You know, like, are you interested in learning this? And they were like, yeah, I guess, you know, so um, we did and we did like the craziest things. We did truth spells on our crushes. Um, we used to try. <laughs> we used to try to like get better grades and like when we wouldn't study for tests and like just ridiculous stuff. We used to, we used to just do ridiculous stuff. And, you know, when it just so happened that like after my friend passed away, we, we kind of stopped doing like the magic stuff. And I think that that's one of the things that stuck in my head. Um, so it was like a little opposite from my book where um, Miliani, Inez and Natalie, they they lose jazz and then instead they they try to use magic to bring her back. Right. So, um, yeah, it was like heavily inspired by that. I'm not saying like the characters are like real or anything like that. It's definitely fiction, but it was it was inspired by that. Every time you talk about your life growing up and with your friends, there are so many little comparisons that you can see in the book between like characters and kind of plot as well. So when it came to writing Deep in Providence, for you, what came first, the characters or the plot? And is the way that you wrote Deep in Providence, is, would it be the same uh, writing process for your other works? Hmm. So with Deep in Providence, it originally started with Natalie. There's a character um, named Natalie. And um, she, so this book didn't start out like it is at all it's it wasn't magical it wasn't about them trying to bring a friend back from the dead i had been applying to mfa programs and um i got into some mfa programs i ended up not being able to go to the mfa programs i was accepted into because of like some personal issues and um i had this like 50 pages of like natalie's story that was about her mom and her brother and her sister and um her mom kind of not being the best parent and her taking care of her little brother and I feel like I love Natalie so much and I I, I wonder if some people could see that she's the core character because a lot of people are like Natalie is my favorite I, I get that more than anything else and I feel like part of that is because she was the first character she was the original character I feel like I poured my soul into her or something but 
um, what happened was I had like this 50 pages written of her story and I couldn't get past them. Like I couldn't get past them. And then all of a sudden I was just like, I feel like Natalie, like, like, I feel like I need magic. Like, I feel like I need magic in my life, in my world right now. And I feel like Natalie needs it too. And then from there, like Miliani's uh, little, um, yeah, I'm not going to call her like a name, but like Miliani, very, very um, adventurous um, personality was born. And then, then came Inez, you know? So like, um, that's how it went in order of character. Miliani came into the world and then she, she just made the world magical. And then I think, I think that that was basically my process after that. I was like, you know what, like, what would a friend that like believes in magic want to do? And then all of a sudden, like the world was born. So it's so weird because parts of this have happened to me in my past, but it didn't come about that way. You know, it came afterwards. Um, so I wasn't intentionally trying to write this story is basically what I'm saying. And then as for my process, my I've already written two other novels in full. Um, one of them, fingers crossed, will be on submission soon. Adult novel. I am just putting it into the universe that it's, you know, we'll see it in the world someday. Very excited about it. And then my second one comes out in May. Um, it's called I'm Not Supposed to Be in the Dark. And I'm Not Supposed to Be in the Dark is in the same universe, but it's more fantasy. It's like way more fantasy it's like steeped into it um but it is in the same universe and I think the process was completely different like so deep basically because I already had those 50 pages and I was like building a world around this one character I'm not supposed to be in the dark was not like that even though um the main character Arya she is a big big huge personality um I hope if you guys read her you you love her because I love her so much but Aria, um, she's very, she's a big personality. It really honestly started with a concept instead. So Deep started with like characters and I'm not supposed to dark started with a concept and it started with an idea of like a girl looking out, out her window and seeing this boy that she used to be best friends with that she's now like basically enemies with seeing him like leave his house in the middle of the night and wondering where he's going it just started with that concept of her like wondering where he's going. And then it bloomed into this, this big thing. Sometimes all it takes is a moment of inspiration, right? Yeah. Literally just a moment. Yeah. Speaking to your future projects and all that jazz, we wanted to sort of circle back to what we spoke about in our author event. For anyone who didn't know, the Girl Woman Other Book Group actually sponsored an author event at the beginning of August with RIS. It was wonderful. We had a great conversation. And you talked a lot then about the publishing industry and how quickly like the process was for you specifically and how unique it was. Would you mind talking about that? Because that's actually really interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. So my publishing process was, I feel like, different than most of my friends or if not all of them actually I um like I said a little earlier I did apply to MFA programs I got into some great MFA programs and then I had to turn them down and then I kind of like hit a hit a roadblock after that and was like so down about my writing and then Emily M. Danforth author of um The Miseducation of Cameron Post and Playing Bad Heroines she was my mentor in college and she pushed me to like keep on writing and everything. And I remember her calling me one day and asking like, are you still writing? And I was like, no, as I stared at like Natalie's 50 pages, I was like, I'm not. And she was just like, oh, you need to get on that. Like you're like one of the best writers I, I've ever read. And like, I, I really need you to like believe in yourself. And I was just like, but where do I go from here? You know, like I didn't know where I went 
from here because I did I didn't end up going to the MFA programs. Um, so I just was like, I don't know where to go from here. And she was just like, just keep writing. But I didn't. Instead, what happened was she went and she said, I'm so sorry, but I gave a few of your pages to my agent to read. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, I gave some of your pages. She's like, I hope you're not mad at me. And I'm like, of course, I'm not going to be mad at you. Like, what are you? And she's like, yeah. And she wants to talk to you. And I was like, okay. So then I got on the phone with Jess Regal from Helm Literary. Um, she's my agent now. And she said to me, hey, like, I love your pages. Like, I love your prose. I need you to write this book, get it done so that I can look at it and possibly offer you representation. And I I said, um, okay, like, when? And she was just like, I'm going to give you a three-month deadline. And I was like, three months? Like, three months to write a whole novel, right? Like, even my mentor, you know, it took her years, you know what I'm saying? It takes some people eight years to write a novel. I was just like, three months? Like, holy shit, um, that's, that's really quick but I'll try. It was actually the best thing she ever did for me. I work so well under a deadline. I just do. I've always been like that in school. I'm like one of those people that will do their like essay, um, like three hours before class and like get an A. But if I try to do it, like the five weeks they gave me to do it, I, it will just be horrible. I'll just never get it done. So I do, I work really well under deadline and I definitely got the novel done. Then I sent it to her and she was so fast too. She's like fast like me. She got back to me right away said, I read this, I want to offer you representation. And I was like, what? And then we signed, we signed a contract. And then she was like, okay, we're going to work on this. She was pregnant at the time. And she was going on maternity leave for months. And plus, anyways, something that a lot of people don't know is like publishing basically shuts down in the summer. And again, in the winter. So like, I would say like a week before November, all the way until like the first or second week of January, publishers seem just like, they, don't, they barely do anything. You know what I mean? Like it basically shuts down. Um, so she was just like, while I'm out on maternity leave during this time where publishing is like shutting down, like just keep on working your, on your edits. And I was like, okay. So I was working on my edits and then all of a sudden it's just, it was so wild how things happen. So I never queried. I never sent out any like emails to agents to try to get one. I never did any of that stuff. And then when we, when I got my edits back, she just was like, all right, we're going on submission. And I was like, what? And then she sent it out to, I think, about 15 editors. And um, literally within the first week, we were already hearing noise from some editors that were interested in talking to me. And by week two, I already had uh, acquisition meetings. Um, they already had acquisition meetings for my auction. And I was already having conversations and phone calls with editors. And um, we sold my book in two weeks. Like... I honestly feel like really blessed and lucky to have went through that when some of my friends have been like 10, 15 years, like in the query pile. That's like rough. I'm not saying I had it like mad easy. I literally, I was 32 when I sold my first book and a lot of people, um, you know, like Rebecca, who, who is a friend, you know, sold their first book at 19, 20, you know what I mean? Um, so it took me a really long time to get there, but I feel like once I was there, it was like, oh, this is meant to, be, I believe in like destiny and all that stuff. So it just felt like, oh, this is right then because it just happened so easy. Um, so yeah, that's basically it. It's wild to even talk about. Like my friends get so mad. They're like, never sent out a query in your life. And I'm like, no. I honestly applaud you for that. That's absolutely incredible. I mean, like it sort of goes with the themes of your book of like manifestation and power being in everything. The fact that you're able to get it done that way is 
It's mind blowing, I'll tell you. And I really, I mean, even as a librarian, I personally don't know anything about publishing, but just hearing you tell like that story of how you got published and everything is just every time I'm floored. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's very inspiring. It's so wild because if you like just to say, just to tell um, like listeners a little bit about it, but like pe- people basically to get an a- agent, like um, agents will put up a wish list and they'll put out their email and they'll say if they're open or not. And then you have to um, send them like a query letter. So it's basically um, like a summary of the book and like what, why you think the book will sell. Like there's other points about it. I've, I've never written one, so don't take my word for it, but there's other things. And they, they um, attach like either the whole book or they'll put like a few chapters inside the email and they'll send it. And like, so that's querying. That's what querying is called. And one of my, um, my best friend, Shirlene Avobi, you know, her book on rotation was amazing. It came out and it got like so much press and it, it just, it's getting amazing reviews and everything. But she, I think she had like 300 queries. Like, so she sent out like 300 emails, like to agents over time. Yeah. And that's like the normal, like, some wow. someone recently, one of my other friends said that they they, they sent like seven hundred over the years or something like that. It's like so that is that's what querying is, and I never like I never went through that, so I'm just kind of like I'm sorry, God. <laughs> but at the same time, I you know I don't want to say it was just like like it fell out the sky or something because I was already thirty two, you know, and I was like you know working as a CNA and everything. I wasn't I wasn't doing anything like cool or writing related or anything. So before we move on to the last chapter topic, we didn't get to ask this at the author event. I wanted to ask what books did you read growing up that influenced you to become a writer? That's something I'm always curious about when it comes okay. to you know, other authors. I feel like my answers are going to be so, like, I don't know. I'm just going to say them because they're true. But um, so Eric Jerome Dickey was actually one of my favorite authors growing up ever. It's like my kids will not be reading any um, Eric Jerome Dickey, uh, you know, like anytime soon. But I was young and had like a free, a free, uh, I don't know, like I was like pretty free to do what I wanted. And I read a lot of Eric Jerome Dickey really young. And then I also read um, from Eric Jerome Dickey to, you know, the Babysitter's Club. It was just like all over the place. I was a big um, Goosebumps reader um so anything rl anything stephen king i don't know that was that was my jam i like love scary stuff and then it was just like really adult like it was either like scary or like babysitter's club or really adult but i think to be honest if i'm being like really honest um and this is going to be so off and probably people are going to be like what but i think fan fiction actually inspired me more to be an author than anything else i was a poet before anything and I would only write poetry and um, since the fifth grade, like I was in poetry contests and all that other stuff. So I I didn't even consider writing like a book. Not It wasn't really reading books. It was fan fiction. So I would just obsess over fan fiction. I would love shows so much and I would go seek out their fan fiction and then I would read it. And then at one point I was just like, this is not giving me what I need. So like I need to think I think I need to write one myself. And I just started writing. It was horrible. Like, they're still up there, too. I have to go hide my name because people have people know that I'm a fan fiction reader now. So, like, readers are, like, threatening to, like, find me. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to go change it and, like, or delete some stuff because it's really, really bad, you know, like awful fan fiction. Um, but I did that for years. And I think that that reading it was what inspired me more, like reading um, Gilmore Girls fan fiction and 
Roswell fan fiction, Dark Angel. Like, so I, yeah, I was more inspired, inspired by that than anything. And um, I just want, I have to say that because I want to give props to like fan fiction writers. There are some amazing fan fiction writers in the world that have never even touched their level. Like, they're just amazing. And I'm just like, please, like agents, go look and try to offer some of these writers rep because they're so good. So I had to give that credit because I think a lot of people will come on here and say like um, The Great Gatsby or something like that, right? Which I love, but it wasn't that. It was fan fiction. I love that. I used to uh, read High School Musical fan fiction on Tumblr <laughs> because that's my love. That's my life. But I mean, there's also some like published books that were supposedly originally fanfics, right? Like Ellie Hazelwood's The Love Hypothesis was Raylo fanfic, apparently. Of course, Fifty, 50 Shades of Grey. Yeah. Twilight. Twilight. That's right. What, the biggest. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Now, OK, I want to ask Cassidy, too, because Cassidy's a writer. She's a good writer. Ooh, Cassidy. Um, what inspires you as a writer? I just I just want to put it out there. I really don't write like that. I do <laughs> sometimes for fun. I have, but I would not give myself the honor of being called that. Um, I think honestly, what inspires me is really toxic romances inspire me for some reason to write. I think I feel like that's my jam. You ever read Katie Roberts? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah she's the, cool. The Dark Horseman series. Do you know about that one, Riss? That's my favorite, like, quote unquote, it's not even smutty. The problem is it's not even smutty. It's just romance. It's just love. It's by Laura Thalassa. It's called The Four Horsemen. Um, and it's basically about how each of the four horsemen fall in love with a mortal girly and how that basically saves humanity. I mean, I'm assuming I haven't gone to the last book, but it is so good. Like, I remember telling Cassidy, I was like, this is just like, I... I picked it up being like, oh, am I about to read like religious smutty fiction? Weird, but I'm going to do it. Um, and then I remember telling Cassidy, like, this is just about love. So anyways, oh, I need to read it. I need that to inspires read it. me. <laughs> yeah. I feel like sometimes you just need simple stories, um, especially because I, I read a lot of contemporary fiction, too. And I feel like that can get very heady sometimes. Yeah. So I don't know. Romances just kind of bring me back to that level. I love, love that romance is being so embraced now, you know, like big shout out to TikTok, I feel like, because romance is being embraced like it was like never before. There's nothing like picking up a good romance book, smutty or otherwise, and then just like losing yourself in that um, after, especially like you're saying, Cassidy, like reading a lot of literary fiction, you know, Mm -hmm. and like just like a lot of heavy topics. So, yeah, I got to read. I got to read that. I'm part of the Rhode Island Middle School Book Award Committee. And, you know, I have to read like a lot of books that are from middle grade. And I've got like 13 checked out. And I was like, okay, I'm going to bang out maybe five or six of them. And then as a palate cleanser, I'm going to read the third book in the Ice Planet Barbarian series <laughs> and then jump right back in. And then I'll find something else as a palate cleanser. But I was like, I need, I need to have like a breakdown of what I'm going to do to approach all of these, you know middle grade books that's a heavy palette over there. <laughs> it's funny because I do the same thing though like um I'm reading Court of Thorns and Roses and I got like the crazy uh the wild stuff and I was like okay like let me just read a book in between that it's like nothing like this we wrap up the show with a segment called the last chapter where we talk about a library or bookish question 
Okay, Riss, if you could rewrite a book from another character's point of view, any book and any character, what would that be? Ooh, this is a hard one. I feel like I have, I feel like I have a few answers, but I think because this book is heavy on my mind right now, I'm going to say I would write um, Cell's Point of View in Legendborn by Tracy Dion. Um, so random, but Bloodmarked, her her second book is coming out, and I think there's going to be like a little Cell action in that. Have either of you read Legendborn? No, not yet. Top five favorite books of all time. So that's like another wreck out there. And there's a character named Cell, and he's very like dark. Uh, the book has like a, a love triangle in it and he's like the dark troubled piece of the of the love triangle um obviously Tracy has her own plans um but I think the whole entire time I was reading Legendborn I just was like I want I want more cell like I just want more cell and like I want to know about him and his life and like what he's thinking right now and if he's thinking about like Bree who is the main character the way I think he's thinking about Brie right now, like, I just want to know. Bloodmark, the second book in the series, is coming out, like, November 9th, I believe. And um, I'm just so anxious. It's it's right around the corner. Do we know how many books are going to be in that series? They're saying three. I hope there's more. It's really incredible. Tracy put her whole everything into this book. And a King Arthur's retelling with a Black main character who is powerful and inquisitive and just perfect and then on top of that giving this character i'm not gonna say any spoilers because you guys haven't read it but given this character like a momentous like not goal but um i don't i'm not gonna spoil it but she's just incredible and she's like perfect and the book is so good and then the love triangle like for romance purposes is just is really really good it's my favorite version of a love triangle because a lot of people don't like the love triangle trope i i do um i actually like probably almost every trope if you do it well right like if you do it if you don't do it well then of course no but if you do it well i I probably like every trope but um the love triangle trope is one of my favorites and the reason why i really like this one though is because i like it when you can't really tell exactly who the person is supposed to be with like you're just kind of like I hope she can have them both, you know, but like, um, probably not, you know, but like, I wish she could, you know, cause like they're both a really amazing. So or maybe not just like have them both combine them both into yeah. one perfect, perfect guy. Period. Yes, exactly. Because they both, they both are, are pretty perfect. Even if you start loving Cell, like if you're like me and like at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, I want Cell to be endgame. Like, you still, still care about the other characters so much and you feel so bad for feeling like that. That's, that's my opinion of Legendborn. That's how good she, like, it, it, it's it's one of those, you know? You're just like, huh. So I hope you guys do read Legendborn. And when you do, like, I hope like, we can talk about it or something because it's so good. And I think Bloodmarks, I heard I heard already, like, some of my friends have read Bloodmarks and I'm so jealous because they know Tracy. I'm just like, can I know Tracy? Like, I, I need Bloodmarks now. Love that. I feel like, because I want to respond to this too. So Girl Woman, other, our book group that Cassidy and I co-run in collaboration with the Crescent Health Equity Center. Uh, in July, we read 
Amar and the Night Brothers by B.B. Alston. And I think about it every day because I loved it so much. And the second book, by the way, came out the 30th of August. I'm ecstatic to read it. Um, and in that book, the elevators are characters. And it's something I've lost my mind over like a million times over and over again. And I would just love like a short story collection with their perspectives and the experiences and the conversations and like the mischief these elevators have gone into. Like, I I just love them. One of them has a carpet made of unicorn hair that was shedded, not brushed off, shedded. Are you kidding me? That's no. Amazing. <laughs> like, literally me if I was an elevator. And I was like, why would I even be an elevator? But like, if I was. <laughs> that feels like really... That feels special, though, like to know the elevator story. Now you're going to have me think every time I step in an elevator, I'm like, what's this elevator story? Like, where have they seen? Exactly. Exactly. It could have some very deep conversations, some philosophical ones. You know, I think it could be a good time. One of my favorite things in books is when authors give either like inanimate objects, very human traits or when they give animals very human traits and we can see like the animals perspective of a story. And there's a story I read recently called Lessons in Chemistry. It just came out, um, I believe this year. And there's a dog in the book. His, the dog's name is 630. And he's my favorite literary character ever. And oh. like he gets his own chapters. And yeah, you get to see like what's, um, what he's thinking and there's like a tragedy in the book and he's involved in the tragedy and like how he's feeling. And he kind of just takes care of, um, you know, his human family in that book in his own way. And it's so good. And I love it. I love yeah. that. I love his name. Like Sixth his name grade. alone. Isn't it awesome? Yeah. yeah. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, it's because um, when the main character finds the dog, it's 630 in the afternoon. So she just names him that. Yeah. So before we do our formal outro, we'll give you this opportunity to just advertise yourself, Riz, if there's anything you'd like to mention, where people can follow you on your socials, reach out to you, all that jazz. Okay, um, I am very basic. My name is the same across socials. So it's just Riz M. Nielsen. Um, you can find me on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. And then I'm not supposed to be in the dark comes out next year it's a YA fantasy and it is about a girl who finds out her ex-best friend is being possessed by a ghost and the ghost wants something from her so i just want to put it on people's radar it comes out in may it's around the corner i'm doing a cover reveal soon the cover is beautiful um and i'm doing a reveal soon on my socials as soon as i get permissions but it's, it's supposed to be around the corner um and there's going to be reviews coming out about it soon because I think it's going to go on NetGalley like in the next month or so. Yeah, I think that's all. So can I ask real quick, um, is the cover going to be done by the same artist who did Deep in Providence? No, no. Um, I love her so much. Her Who, who did Deep in Providence is Sienna Smith. Um, the artist that's doing my cover, her name is Kenza, and I will link her when I, when I drop the cover, I'll link her information. She just followed me on social media. She incredible too um so no it's a different artist and the cover honestly looks so different uh still a character on it is as much as i can say but one character versus you know the, the four girls on deep and it's just so different and the colors oh my god the colors are like 
my whole personality basically like my vibe and my aesthetic so I'm in love like I can't wait to actually just like have this book in print I'll request it on NetGalley like trust me I'll add it to my to-do list (laughs) I hope so it's so different it's even though it's deep in the same world and it's about like ghosts and stuff it's just different yes we're very very excited and we'll probably ask you to come back to the library Riz (laughs) I love to come back to the library we I had so much fun and it was just a joy to be there around everyone and I was so happy to be able to bring my kids too and like for them to see we love the Cranston Public Library (laughs) we're always there and I have to go drop a book so I will probably see you soon anyways but um to come back for an event I would love to I work till close today Jesse and (laughs) in case you want to come in today well thank you Riz for being here we're very excited for your future and all the projects you have on the way and thank you for everyone for listening if you'd like to respond to the last chapter topic please send us an email at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org or reach out to us via social media with the hashtag downtime cpl if you're feeling generous please rate and review on apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts it helps people find the show thank you again for listening and this has been another episode of downtime downtime is a project of the cranston public library and is produced by zach berger nomi hay robin nizio and me taylor cardillo audio engineering by dave bartos Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza, and our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts, connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL, and if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. Join us next week for more Downtime. You guys want to see the cover real quick? Yes. yes. Oh, stunning! She's pretty. She's pretty gorgeous nice. in the purple. Ah! Wow. Yeah. I love her hair. Now that it's done, I'm like, thank goodness, and she looks great.